So uh, today we're going to do a layman's discussion of a first impression of the Hendrix tran 1989 translation of Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching, Chapter 1. As for the way, the way that can be spoken of is not the constant way. As for names, the name that can be named is not the constant name. The nameless is the beginning of the 10,000 things. The named is the mother of the 10,000 things. Therefore, those constantly without desires, by this means, will perceive its subtlety. Those constantly with desires, by this means, will see only that which they yearn for and seek. Those two together emerge. They have different names, yet they're called the same. That which is even more profound than the profound, the gateway of all subtleties. So that's chapter one. Yeah, obviously there's some introductory stuff there. Right, I... Yeah, um, as you know, it assumes you know what they mean when they say the way. And, uh, Except that if it's chapter one, then technically you would have no way of knowing what the way is until you well, figure the, out the way. Well, the thing is, <laughs> the original one was written on strips of bamboo in iconography of the time, right? Right. Uh, Characters. 2,400 years ago. Um, that was translated about 800 years later, because it was disintegrating, onto other strips of iconography that was current then and then there are like a hundred translations of you know from that into English and I picked this one because it's a little bit contemporary 1989 and it uses two of my favorite things it talks about the 10,000 things okay because in other translations it'll say the myriad of things or whatever different descriptions and I like the idea for me it just you know the 10,000 things because 2,400 years ago they must have had to, it must have been a, a total brain buster to think of 10,000 things in the world you know well we got squirrels and we got rocks we got dirt and rice and rice and more rice you know and uh, did they have rice that long ago maybe it hadn't been invented yet uh, yeah discovered and they only had 9,999 9, yeah, but um, and also I picked this one. Um, oh, because it uses the word subtlety, and that's a great word. And that yeah, and that means uh, it has meaning for me personally. But it's also a great. Word. I, I just like the way it sounds, the way it's spelled. Yeah, it's subtle. subtle. It's, yeah, it's a nice word. I think. Uh, and subtlety is a good quality. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's. I did cheat a little bit, did a little bit of background and okay. looking into some of this stuff, so I at least have some context, because this is totally new for me, but I, I get everything, I mean, there's a lot to talk about in here, it's all worked in tightly, but right. the one place where I get totally lost is when uh, these two together emerge, they have different names and they're called the same. I mean, I guess talking about the way, which, right. if you don't know what it is, 
Well, I mean, that's an interesting question just to start off. Is there a way, or is that all subject to interpretation as well? Is that, I mean, under kind of, if you know, under the more... Right, and they, well, in other translations, it's the Tao. Okay. And so the Tao is, from what I gather, a uh, the overarching thing that contains everything. And sometimes it can be used interchangeably for God, but this the Tao, one, one thing that I like about Tao is they don't always separate God from the 10,000 things. And um, so the two, I'm thinking what the two is, is, um, where does it say? The two that emerge. The two that emerge. Oh, um, so living without desire is one, and the, uh, the, uh, the way is the other one, I'm thinking. Okay, so living without desire is being contrasted with the way? Or it's, or it's the same. So what is... Oh, so living without desire emerges, or... The subtleties emerge when you're living the way and when you're living without desire. Is that the same? Is living the way... Is living without desire living the way, or is there... It's, it's not like a Confucian living the way, right? There's not like a, Confucius has a thousand rules or whatever it is, and you, know, you have to respect your elders, you have to do this, you have to do that. This is a little more of a subject to, is the way subject to interpretation? Well, well, it cannot be spoken of. I understand that. So, um, so it's that, it's that, it's that thing, and it's the subtle thing that you kind of know is there, kind of everywhere, but you can't quite describe it, you can't quite pin it down, in fact, the more you try to describe it and pin it down, the more elusive it is. And so, right, the name that cannot be named, that can be named, is not the constant name. So, if you could name it, it, it's not right. You haven't reached it, or you haven't figured it out. Right, and and, and also, I think it has. Uh, it talks about um, how the you know being a human, and or being a you know any sort of living creature. You're going to have desires because you, you know, to, in order to continue, you desire food, water, air, uh, all that stuff. Knowledge, for one thing. Knowledge. That's how I read this more: is like that desire for knowing what the way is, kind of in a sense. Well, well in, in is the thing that keeps yeah. you from getting to know the way. Well, in Buddhism, you know, one of the things that the Buddhists always do is try to minimize suffering in the world. Right. And so. Which I always thought was kind of an odd... That guy would rather be in the heat than listen to us. Okay. <laughs> um, Free country. Yeah. So, um, so desire is the root of all suffering. In fact, it's kind of the definition of suffering. In Buddhism. In Buddhism. Well, just in general, suffering is not is when your desires are not met. If you desire to be pain-free and you have pain, that's suffering. If you desire food, you don't have food, that's suffering. Well, yeah, but if you desire food and then you get food, you don't have suffering. So yeah, right. And then you don't have the desire anymore, but the desire drives you to fulfill itself. Mm -hmm. it serves a purpose. But anyway, serves, serves a purpose, but because it's 
because we're animals, it gets us on a visceral level, and that's what, and, and we're and we're less likely to be able to observe the subtleties. So when you have to pee, you don't think of Tao. No, take a pee first, then then try to think about it. Yeah, but you can't. Okay, so anyway, you were saying that the Buddhists have this belief in minimizing suffering or trying to eliminate. Yeah, that's one of their main goals. You know, if you're a a Buddhist, you know, it's what the Dalai Lama is all about. And uh, I did read a couple of his books, and that's all he talks about. Guy doesn't shut up about suffering. Yeah, to me that seems like kind of an obsessive, an unhealthy obsession. I don't know if the Taoists delve into that, but at any, at any rate, I like kind of the overall structure of the way this first verse is, you know, already setting up these uh, contrasts and making you think about things deeply and really want to. Yeah. Well, like the second sentence, as for a name, the name that cannot be named is not the constant name, which is a the name that can be named. Yeah, the name that can be named is not the constant name, and that is a is just a lovely Asian way of putting things, where it's yes and no at the same time. But I think what it talks about is that everything changes. You know, change is, is what the constant is. Does the way change? Only when you name it. <laughs> so, uh, when it says as for names, the name that can be named is not the constant name. And yeah. What I'm assuming is that sort of corollary to the way, to this concept that the way can't be spoken. It's not right, it reflects the first sentence. Right? It seems like it's sort of the, in, in maybe a more Christian way of looking at it, the maker. But rather than trying to figure out who the maker is, and if he really made us in his image, as the Old Testament says, it just sort of saying, don't try to figure that out. But I, that's my interpretation of it. Right. Don't try to figure out who that is, or even, in a sense, the first ver- or the first line of this verse is really intriguing to me because I'm still trying to unravel if, if the way can if it cannot be spoken or it's not the constant way if it has to be unspoken to be the constant way yeah. then human communication involves speak, the speaking of so if you can't communicate the way I guess my question would be how do you know what it is and how do you know it exists and I mean you know it exists because you know. That's that's an easier question. How do you know what it is? Right. And is it by not having desires, as it says here, and at least start to... Well, a desire, to name it, is a desire. And having having a name... See, the, the, problem, with, the problem with words is that once you attach a word to something, you lock it in as to what it is. Now that works for a table, but uh, anything, you know, once you get past anything tangible, you know, words kind of start to falter or, you know, they, because, well, like one problem with this being 
you know, a third, fourth generation translation, you know, is that the meanings of the original iconography, there's really no way to know. Yeah, especially when you consider, I mean, if, if you've ever read Plato or any early philosophers, some of the ideas that they express in some of the early philosophies, their view of the physical world is so different from ours that you can't even really relate to some of the concepts that are being tossed about. Well, I think, was it last week we were talking about how the color blue doesn't appear in any literature until, well, even Moby Dick, whenever that was written, 150 years ago, didn't have the color blue in it. And it, I'll say, so did the color itself not exist? Or, you know, have we evolved to have a sense of blue just recently? Or, you know, some combination of things? Because it was either described, you know, as black or red or some other color, you know, the sky or, or whatever. So, so, you know, it's possible that the human's ability to perceive various things has even changed in 2,400 years. Right. So, or the, the way that we perceive them is definitely different now. I mean, when yeah. you are exposed to all the things we're exposed to, you wouldn't have 10,000 things. You now have to say the nameless is the beginning of the million or six yeah. million. Right. It's kind of that whole idea of uh, video or uh, pinball game inflation. I, like the early pinball games, it was yeah. ten thousand. By the time I was a teenager, they were right before video games were created. They were in the millions, or tens of hundreds of millions you could get. Well, one, the the first time this this sort of that sort of concept really got to me was. Um, when they were building all these super big grocery stores. It was before Walmart was like the main thing for that. And so they had like a Vons and they moved, they expanded Vons. And so because the original grocery store had 20,000 different things for sale and their logic was that a super grocery store has 50,000 things for sale and you're going to end up spending more money. Well, that really didn't kind of work out because they don't have giant bonds anymore, you know. But for a while, that was the thinking, and I'm thinking, there are fifty thousand things in this store for sale, you know, and it doesn't look like that. It's hard to perceive that, you know. It's like, okay, well, I guess there are nine different kinds of pinto beans, and yeah, you know, and it, hair products alone is like two aisles, and it's all just shampoo. <laughs> Right, so the 10,000 things wouldn't even cover that fifth of the grocery store. So, yeah, the whole outlook on what the world is is different now. I'm still, I keep going back to this first sentence because I'm intrigued by the concept that you can't speak kind of what you might say is the ultimate truth. And maybe it's not the ultimate truth. I don't know if it is or if it isn't. Um, and there's something like totally intriguing to me about that. It's not really the ultimate truth, it's kind of the ultimate, the ultimate something, right? It's like, yeah. Because I'm assuming here, without having read any more of the Tao, that the way is a good thing. It's not a negative thing. It's not like you want to get out of the way. Yeah. You want to be in the way. Well, I think the idea is that you're part of the way, and you know, being having a familiarity with it, 
at least the concept, you're kind of ahead because it's a way of seeing the world. And you get that by not desiring to get it, basically. Right, but you're aware of it. And, you know, there are a lot of those things in, in Taoism and Buddhism that are, you know, the, the thing about desire. Well, it's, a, it's kind of an in, endless loop deal because, well, I desire not to have desire so that I can understand things. Well, but you're desiring to not have desire, you know? Well, to me, that would almost lead you to the conclusion... I'll look in the windows down because it's so hot. To me, that would almost lead you to the conclusion that the ultimate truth comes from dreams. Because in dreams, at least not you don't have any conscious desire, at least. There might be some repressed desire or whatever that's floating around in the dream. But you ever had a chase dream? Yeah. Well, you desire to get away or whatever. Not really, though. I don't think I, I don't think of it as desire in the same way as I would if I was awake and being chased. It's almost like an automatic thing. You can't control. You can't really like consciously control, right? What's going on in there? And nothing. None of it's really happening. So, I wonder if anybody's ever kind of explored that aspect of finding the truth through dreams. It's kind of far fetched. And uh, speaking of dreams, I also wonder and the. T- changes in culture, yeah. how much different dreams must have been 2,400 years ago. People dreamed about bowls of rice. And yeah. Didn't dream about car chases and flying over cities, probably. And maybe they did, but well, you know, they were still very close to being hunter-gatherers, and so they spent most of their time hunting and gathering because food was harder to come by. Right. You know, even, even you know, now... The poorest person can OD on carbohydrates, but back then, carbs and protein and everything salt. was hard to come by. Salt. Yeah, so I would imagine your dreams would reflect the way you spent your days, which is hunting and gathering and being a farmer. Um, I read an article about six months ago maybe about Christmas. It's probably right around Christmas time as a matter of fact. And they were talking about how pagan celebration and the beginning of Christmas people would um, really celebrate because they didn't know if they would make it through the winter kind of along the same lines you're talking about. Uh, it's kind of an interesting concept. It's like this might be our last time to party yeah. and then we'll die. Because I guess a lot of people did starve to death or freeze or whatever, you know, bad things happen to people in the winter because they didn't have the same and have the carbohydrates to protect them. And there's a whole thing, well, speaking about perception and whatnot, is, you know, we we don't have any frame of reference of how the pioneers lived or how the, the pilgrims lived, right? I mean, we can read the book and we can say, well, you know, this and that, but... So one time I was uh, invited to this kind of my extended family uh, Thanksgiving. So I was reading online, and during the original uh, Thanksgivings, sugar had not been invented. And so maple syrup, there was maple syrup and honey, but for the most part, those were kind of hard to come by. Maple syrup, you know, had to be invented with a process of boiling may have not even been there. You know, whatever it was, it's probably a lot watery, more watery than what we have now. And uh, so, 
putting to them was uh, a, a corn gruel that had a little bit of maple syrup in it, or honey. And that was in. So to them, because they never tasted sugar, that was super sweet to them. Right. And, you know, as sweet as the apples, you know, or anything that you know, normally is sweet. So I brought it to the, you know, that was my donated dish to the dinner. And I just, I, I think only one or two people even tried to taste it. You know, they were like, okay, you know, I was, no, we're here to be, th- you know, not having this as our best thing that we ever eat during the year is something to be thankful for. And they just did not get that concept. They go, right, okay, so I have some pies over here I got from Marie Callender's. Let's get into those first. And so, for some people, even thinking about it is hard. Or you're trying to think about it, you know? And they were like all insulted. Right. And uh, so, so, I don't know that it's really important that we be able to sympathize with Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu, and his way of life when he's saying this stuff, because, I mean, uh, I guess the idea is that these things are, the things that are said in the book are constant, even though the way itself may not be constant. Yeah, well, he's, I mean, he's, when he says, as for the way, the way that can be spoken of is not the constant way, he's speaking of it, but he's not... Defining it, because mm-hmm. you can't, because that would be exactly the opposite of what he's saying right there. Yeah. So I think if you, if you move on to the third and fourth sentences, the nameless is the beginning of the 10,000 things. Mm-hmm. That seems pretty bad in the next line. The name is the mother of the 10,000 things. That just, to me, that, those both seem pretty self explanatory. The, the nameless, except the name can't be named, but it's the mother of 10,000 things. Right. Well, yeah, I guess that's a little tricky. Why, why is the name there? Yeah. If, it's, if the nameless is the beginning of everything, then the name, well, the name is, I think maybe that just means the fact that we're, that we name things or, you know, the, but how does that make it the mother? I don't know. Maybe that's desire or is that? Or maybe the two things are not the way and desire. Maybe the two things are the way and names, or the named. What, the two together that emerge? That are, yeah, that, that emerge, that let, let us have an idea of the subtleties. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I, I was reading this kind of just in a literal, or like a, maybe a modern English way, where the two that emerge were the living constantly without desire and living with desire, but that didn't, that doesn't make sense, so it's, because it's, it's a sort of the, yeah, different names, different they're called the same. Okay, so yeah, they have different names, but they're called the same, so the way and desire are not that, but the named and the nameless can be different names that are called the same, which is nameless and can't be spoken of <laughs> but the thing is I, I think you know uh, it is it is a specifically western idea that 
that have the, the what they call the ceramic model is that everything is a product, everything is a manufactured thing, you know, of its own. And so this was, you know, they didn't have that. Everything is an outgrowth of everything else in the older Eastern way of thinking. Well, and in a very personal way. Yeah. I mean, even up until the 1700s, I think, the whole idea of manufacturing is more personal community based on you know, having different people that can do different things for that community within the community. Well, like you yourself are just an extension of your parents as opposed to being a separate being that is thrust out of your mother and now you're a separate being. You know, there's that whole thing where there's still places in the third world where you can't just go up to a person and say, how do you feel? Because they don't have that much of a separate identity like we in the West. We have these separate identities and we're very proud of them. There are places where people still don't have that. They're, we, how do I feel? Well, let me go ask the other people in the village how, how I feel. Um, That's very foreign to me. It's hard to yeah. imagine. Yeah, it is hard to picture. I had a guy come and clean out my drains six or eight months ago, and he was a Latino guy, and um, he was really puzzled. You you live here by yourself? He just couldn't. It was like he couldn't wrap his head around why would somebody live by themselves? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would say that that's not only a Western thing, that's a very American, more American than anything else. Yeah. yeah. Personal space, or personal space tends to be bigger than anywhere else. Yeah. Our sense of individual tends to, or ego, all that stuff. Yeah. It's good and bad to it, right? Yeah, right. It's, it's just a mode, you know. But as a society, we've achieved want to call it that. I mean, we, we, you know, we're the, basically, for whatever passes as culture, we're the cultural leaders in the world, and probably still financially, in lots of ways, and that's mostly, I think, due to all the individualism, I and mean, even Ralph Waldo Emerson pretty much, well, recognized that 150, 200 years ago. And I understand that Pokemon started in Japan, but the new Pokemon thing... Pokemon Go is spreading from the U.S. around the world as we okay. speak. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I heard that they're, that they're starting to incorporate that in Germany and Europe. Right. That is not the way <laughs> Pokemon Go. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah the, the, the Pokemon are not one of the 10,000 things. That's an artificial thing. I wonder if you can... It's funny because you can't speak the way, but can you speak what's not the way? Or does that also... Pokemon is not the way. Well, does well, that affect the way? Well, 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 I think the, the way and the 10,000 things are the same thing. And the 10,000 things are a way of huh. describing everything. Okay, so I was saying 10,000 things as more physical things. And thinking of that in a physical sense, the nameless, kind of like in the Christian sense of the nameless, sometimes the nameless, because a lot of, in the old, older 
religion and Judaism, they wouldn't even name, they wouldn't say God's name. You couldn't say it. Right. Write it down. So he was nameless in that sense, which is kind of an interesting extension of what he's saying here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, but I'm just assuming, but uh, from what I've read and whatnot, it's, yeah, the 10,000 things are everything, including concepts. Wow, and you really need yeah. more than 10,000. <laughs> yeah, but there again, back then, you know. Really? Emotion, emotions were happy, sad, hungry, <laughs> and horny. Well, obviously, somebody was thinking, though, this one dude. Yeah. Well, that you know, that, in contrast to all the things that I've said before, back then, so long ago, they did have these guys like Lao Tzu, who were big thinkers and thought about a lot of things that are still fascinating today. They had a lot of time to think, though. Yeah, they had a lot of time, a lot of peace. You know, they didn't have the 60-cycle hum in their head all the time. No electricity. That's a huge factor right there. Right. So can the way still be the way when, when things have changed so much? Yeah, I think that's the whole point. That's that's why you can't name it. Because if it includes all change, uh, change is part of the constant. Yeah. But that means that in some sense the way changes. Right. Yeah. It's like the Constitution of the United States has to adapt to modern. I'm sure the Except founding fathers didn't think that you know gay people should get married. Well, I'm thinking they never gave it a thought, but you know that's just me. I mean, those people existed and everything, just like now. But nobody talked about them. Except Ben Franklin, right? He hung out with them in Paris. Oh, did he? Yeah. Well, but, we uh, lots of them in Paris. But... Yeah. Um, the ten thousand thing. Therefore, therefore, it was constantly without desires by this means will perceive its subtlety. Okay, this by this means, and so it's talking about the first paragraph. Oh, I thought that by this means without desires. That's I thought that was the means. Therefore, these those constantly without desires by this means. Will perceive oh, without desires, yeah. So that's how you perceive the subtleties of the way. That was what I was thinking, which is yeah. very, very difficult to try to do because, like you said, I mean, it's almost like, have you ever heard of that game where if you think of the game, you just lost? No. Oh, yeah, that, that's the game. Oh, okay. I think they just call it the game. Yeah. Whenever you think of the game, then you just lost. So you try not to think of the game. If you try not to think of it, you're going to think of it. So it's kind of the same thing with, you know, if you're trying not to be desirous. There are, I think... God, I learned so many improv games when I was doing improv because there are improv games, you know, there are like a thousand of them that somebody has thought up ahead, but there are some that you just start and then whatever the game is evolves. And then there's, yeah, I think there's one where as soon as you all, everybody figures out what the game is, it's over. It's over. <laughs> so, um, so I can see how that alone constantly without desire trying to figure out the way you can't really try to figure it out it has to figure it has to it has to reveal itself to you without any intention on your part right and that's kind of the soul of subtlety and the difficulty in that is especially now and even I'm sure back in the day when people were hunting and gathering 
your pursuit, you're, you're going to be pursuing desire, and I guess that's number six, or the next line, which is, yeah. if you constantly have desires, you will only see that which you learn for and seek. So if you're just hungry, you're trying to get the food, and you're seeing rice, and maybe that's why the dreams aren't that bit of an indicator of the way, because well, they are... you know, and, and of course, you know, ever since, ever since the, the current uh, election cycle got to be so crazy... You know, I just kind of, every time I start to get a conversation going in it, I just know there are certain people who, whose desires, they only they only find what they wish to see. Like the people that don't think America is great now, that's all they're looking for, and so that's all they see. Absolutely. Right, yeah. And so, in my mind, this is saying, don't be stupid. But, you know, that's just my thing today. Uh. <laughs> well, this now this one is intriguing me, though, the idea of trying to seek, or not even trying to seek, but finding the way by not trying to seek it, almost. Right. Because, like you said, if you have a desire to seek the way, that's a desire. So you rid yourself, I, mean, I suppose that's part of what meditation has to do with Kind of clear your mind of everything. Just to let you know. Well, there's that old. It's an old. Uh, I don't know if it's an aphorism or. A, what were the thing Ben Franklin was famous for? Those little sayings. What were they called? Uh, you know. Sayings. A penny saved is a penny earned. He used to say those little things. Yeah, I don't know but the, anyway. I don't know the word. Well, there's one. You name it, then it will. Right. Well, there's this one that if you. If you chase it, chase a butterfly. The harder you chase it, the more it's going to elude you. But if you sit down and you turn your mind to other things, it will come and land on your shoulder. Is that Ben Franklin? No, but it's oh, okay. an, it's an aphorism. I was trying nice to think of that word. Homily. Homily. Yeah. And uh, so that is like an old homily, and I think it says a very similar thing to this: is that you know. Um, let the butterfly land on your shoulder. Right. Now, on the big picture, but I have come to know that ignoring women that you desire will not bring them to you. Um, has to be a butterfly. Or chasing them directly a lot of times won't bring them to you either. But uh, that's just one. That's not the way. That's something else. <laughs> yeah, now you know that's not the way. Yeah. Because you can't sit there and it comes to you. Yeah. So is that how the way is defined? It's what comes to you when you're not desiring anything? I mean, you can't define the way, I guess, but is that right. an element of the way? Well, it, well, no, because the way that can be spoken of is not the constant way. So it can be the temporary way, I'm guessing just by reversing that. So you can... And, you know, that, that's one of the things that was one of my big problems with religion, going back to when I was a kid, is that they seem to have found a method of cultivating, you know, some sort of a rapport with, you know, God, the universe, or whatever, and they formalize it into a system of, you know, do this uh, 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 ceremonies and 
things like that. But that's assuming that the intangible works the same way as the tangible universe. That, you know, if you get something, if you put something in water, it's going to get wet. But I think a lot of the more subtle things that are sort of the truths of the way aren't, don't work the same way all the time. Mostly because you can't be consciously aware of all the variables because of the 10,000 things. I suppose in the, the bigger question might be is, is, there, is there a way? If you start, I guess if you start with the assumption that there is not a way, then you're done. You might as well toss this out. Yeah, yeah. There's no, yeah. There's no constant way. There's no one way to describe the way. There's no one name to give to things. But I'm not saying it assumes there is a way. Yeah, it is. Now or a way, whatever you want to call it. Right? Yeah, you have to start with that assumption. Yeah, or else you get nowhere. Right. And maybe, or maybe, maybe I don't know. I suppose God is the way for some people, but but then it's named and doesn't wouldn't fit any of these rules, but um, right. in fact, that's what Jesus is, is it, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says Jesus is the way, the life, the something or other. Right. The light, maybe the way, the life, the life, or something like that. Right. So it, they but use that, the same terminology that maybe that's what Hendrix had in mind when he t- translated this, I don't know. Could be. Um, I don't know if it would confuse us or not, but I found a, a PDF that has each chapter Eight, eight different versions of each chapter on um, each, you know, all together in one pages. place. So maybe that would be a different approach. Well, we could, yeah, we could try that for next time. But I, I think having one text is enough for me, anyway. It's, it's yeah, right, dense enough right. that that's yeah. plenty to talk about. But I did read a couple, when I cheated, I did read a couple other translations that probably gave me a little bit of insight into something. Right. As yeah. How it's been interpreted by the people. Right. Yeah. So the two things emerge. The two things have different names, yet they're called the same. And so, what do you say those two things are that are emerging? Oh. And it's the gateway of all subtleties. Okay. Well, I think he's talking about the first paragraph where they talk about the way that can't be named. In the second paragraph, where they're talking about desire, and in the third paragraph, these two, th- these two together emerge. The way and desire, or the way and the lack of desire. Yeah, the lack of desire. Okay, so when you, I guess, but this confuses me here, where it says they have the different names, yet they are called the same. Huh. So, but no desire and the way are not called the same. Or lack of desire. Or maybe they should be. Different things. Yeah, it's a tough one. Subtlety. And I mean, the term subtlety comes up twice. 
you're without desire, you perceive subtlety. But then something something else is emerging with, with that. The way is emerging with that. Is that what you're saying? There is merging with that, really. That which is even more profound than the profound. I think that's a typo. Yeah, maybe a typo. Which doesn't help any. (laughs) Yeah, the the last four verses are the ones that kind of seem to tie this all together somehow, but I don't have to understand how they're tying it together. Right. But I suppose if you have the way and you're without desire, if you're confident. It almost seems like if you're contemplating the way without any desire to contemplate the way, then you have this, that's the gateway of all subtleties, which would, yeah, it would be, it require quite a bit of subtlety to do that, to be contemplating the way without having a desire to contemplate the way. It's, that's, that would be almost like a really nirvana-type state. Well, or Zen. The Zen state, the Zen state is where you are just existing without desire, but you can at the same time be pursuing something that is a desire. So it's it's one of those two for two for deals again. Or like Scientology, you're getting clear. Yeah, you're getting clear, but it's cloudy ahead, and it costs a lot. Yeah, it costs a lot. Now it's ten thousand dollars for this level of getting clear. You're almost there. But let us take you into a small room and berate you for a few weeks. Yep. I had a <laughs> secretary one time who went through that. She said they screamed uh, Alice in Wonderland at her oh. for hours. Oh, nice. Yeah, they said I'd rather have something else screamed at me than Alice in Wonderland. Well, given the choice, you know, in cold blood, uh, yeah. maybe Alice would be better than that. Maybe. Uh, Brett Ellis, was a career dude that made some horribly violent novel in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I'd rather probably have some rock song yelled at me, because they yell anyway in rock music. Yeah, right. Punk. Nausea, bloody red eyes go to nausea. Get clear. <laughs> Get clear. Oh, that's it, Scientology metal. That would not get you to the way, I don't think. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's weird, too. It talks about desire, but it doesn't talk about sensation. It doesn't talk about emotion or anything directly, except as part of the 10,000 things. Right. Which is kind of the antithesis of the way, I think. Once you start naming and and thinking about the names of and trying to figure out the things, then you move away from the the pure path. But, you know, in a way, the, the names of things and what all the things are, it's not that important to know or to define everything. Because it seems like, in a way, the way is the stuff that's in between the 10,000 things. You know, it's the mother of the 10,000 things. It's not the 10,000 things itself. Yeah, the spaces between anything can be the most fascinating part of everything. Sure. 
and in, the most subtle. I was in a restaurant one time, this is really weird, in England, and there were probably 50 people in there, and 100 people, and everybody was talking, very pretty noisy place, and then all of a sudden, all at once, it was like everybody stopped talking just for one yeah. short moment. Right. And then it all started again. It was really bizarre. It was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I probably just, if I had been paying attention, I could have maybe known the way. Oh, wait, was, was that uh, what they call the, the Mandela effect? Yeah, you were, you were right. jumping time tracks. Yeah, yeah. So, but everything seemed the same afterwards. I guess you wouldn't know. That was one of the weird things that happened this week. I think I think I jumped a track. Yeah. Because everything, yeah, was a strange, unusual kind of disorientation. You know, and then it kind of faded away. So. Disorientation as nice to disorientation as to what. Well, something that I thought was, and I can't even remember what it was now, which I guess is part of it, uh, you know, just some sort of thing that I knew as a fact, and then it just sort of seemed to fade away, and then there was a gap where that bit of information used to be. But then I've been reading about the Mandela effect lately, so, you know, maybe it's just imagination, but it's, uh, you know, it was interesting. So now that we're reading about the way, I'm curious to see what you're going to experience in the upcoming week. Well, maybe that's that's what this is talking about when it's not constant, is that time itself can change. Or what, you know, or what, uh, you know, universe you're in can change. I don't think so. No, but... I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe. In a, in a fantasy novel, though, it could. Right. Um, it's an odd concept because you wouldn't know if it happened anyway. Could have just happened a moment ago. Well, except those people that remember when Mandela died. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, he's dead now, but I mean, the first right. time he right. died. Right. <laughs> yeah. For the studio audience, the home audience. It's um, not a podcast from 1998. Right. Uh, but the way it has changed since then. Perhaps. Yeah. You know, it's constant. Say so. Constant. Yeah. Okay, so we covered people that see with desires. That, that, that one seems to be a practical, real-world thing. Right. Not a double speak kind of thing. Right, the constantly without desires. The, or the those constantly with desires seeing what they're only what they're looking for. Isn't that classist? Because I mean the, does that mean poor people can never really because poor people are gonna just be living to try to fulfill their desires, right? Does that mean it has to be a rich man that becomes the philosopher? Well isn't that the irony of, of wealth? Is that you still have desires, just you know, they're just different ones. Now, yeah, that's a maybe more modern problem too, though, because con- consumerism. You know, in the past yeah. where you didn't have all the either money circulating around or things that you could use money for. Well, that, that's another thing that's hard to picture: <laughs> is that what was life like before consumerism? You know, I mean, I was raised with TV commercials. I don't know about you. And, but ads of all kinds were making me want to desire things. Whereas, yeah. What was like before that? I mean, did people people had like specific desires, uh, 
you know, they wanted a diamond ring or whatever it was, but I think it was limited to just very specific things they'd heard about. Yeah, and if you go, I mean, depending on how far back you go, that aspect of life really, like, has, has, has you know, kind of blossomed like an algae. Right. In the last hundred years, maybe. Because you know, there's been print advertising, newspapers, and that sort of thing, which are quite as intrusive. And I was reading about how, you know, I mean, all, all this stuff started with the Industrial Revolution because they were all of a sudden able to produce things in mass, but it didn't really kick into gear until the Sears catalog brought these things to people's attention. You know, they didn't even know they, these things existed. Or, you know, or that they could just send away some money and get back a, a dress that somebody else sewed? That's crazy talk. And now we have Pinterest. Yeah. Which is like the Sears catalog. Of, of, of 10 billion things. It's 10 billion, yes, yeah, that's right. The anti-DAO. Because I have a Pinterest account, but I don't think I've pinned that much in the way of consumer items, recipes, yeah, trippy stuff. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, there's just, yeah, there's a zillion yeah consumer items on there. So, but anyway, to go back to that question, is it the only the rich that, or, or who is it that would, is the ideal candidate then for? I mean, it seems like the philosopher has to be taken care of. And maybe this is uh, Lao Tse's way of saying, "Give me money, so I don't have to work and think and desire." And I can just sit around and contemplate. Yeah, well, you know, it's almost like the you know the Catholic Church asking for a tithe or something, in a subtle way. Uh, well, it could. Well, you know, um, we I, I think. Well, I think. Desires. Well, but I think that's kind of a consumerist way to think about it because if he was a, I mean, they're not even sure he's the one who wrote it, right? So they don't okay. really know that much about it, except that he was a, a cleric of some sort. And maybe cloistered or, or whatever. So I think his day to day existence was already sort of taken care of. You know, he didn't have to go out hunting and gathering. Maybe he did. But, you know, he had plenty of time to think about this stuff and write it all down in iconography. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I'm sure his, de you know, because desire is, is, is anything. You know, like I was saying originally, food, water, air, well, a good night's sleep. It could be well, sex or... Right, but, but even... A yacht. Well, well, yeah, but they're, I don't think they're or talking to be about... President. I don't think they're talking about big desires like that. I think they're... If you're... If you're, you know, if you're waiting on the subtlety of the way and what you desire is a good night's sleep, you know, that's what you're going to see. If, you know, you're right. waiting for the subtlety and, you know, what you need is a glass of water. Right. That's what you're going to see. So but my point is that it's people, especially, I would think, particularly in that time, the people who don't have the means to afford a luxurious life are going to be constantly living by their desires so they would never have time to contemplate the way. Right. And, and that is kind of why the priesthood was developed. Specifically, well, I can't do it, so we're going to set aside certain people who were into that anyway, 
you know, and we're gonna, you know, take care of them and uh, you know let them contemplate these things for us. I wonder if knowledge of the way is something that it would benefit everyone. So, so then you have this class of people that has to kind of give up that their own pursuit of it in a sense, right? So have this kind of surrogates that are doing it for them and that removes them from their own pursuit of it, doesn't it? Well, except that, you know, in the later chapters they talk about all sorts of things like kingdoms and military and war and, and all sorts of, you know, things like that. Um, so... It gets more practical, is that what you're saying? Well, parts of it do. You know, this is just sets out the, the premise of the way on this first chapter here that you know what we're going to be talking about in the following chapters can't really be defined so know that going in <laughs> um, that you know whatever it is that's talked about in the following chapters the truth of it is going to be in the subtleties not in the words Right, the unspoken part of it. Yeah. And it lends itself to that anyway. Right. So well, and if you were, and you got to think, of it, if you were going to write a book about this, yeah, you'd want to set that out first, you know, set it up, set up the, what you're going to be writing about. Well, sure, I and mean, usually you, you'd want to set it up by speaking the way, or, speaking, or at least by defining yeah. exactly, you know, I mean, I guess... Now, even though I, I've, you know, read this through, you know, 50 times in different translations and all that, in my research looking for, you know, one for us to look at, this is not the main book of Tao. There's another one that I had never even heard of before that's considered like, I mean, this is like a guidebook for that book. And so, is that book like three sentences long or something? No, no it, it's different. It, it tells all these parables and it's like oh. a storybook, and some of the parts are funny and this and that. But there aren't any modern translations that are out of copyright yet. So, Crazy. even though it's older, it predates this one, and it's the premise for this stuff, it's not publicly available. You have to actually buy the book. Um, or the you know there, there's only a couple of translations because I mean this is the one that's like you say dense and interesting and, and all that but uh, at some point I got to get into that one <laughs> the comic book version yeah or the graphic novel version right right yeah it's uh, parables and stories and comic books someone should write a graphic novel version of sure. maybe that other book that you're talking about yeah that well there's there's a graphic, more the stories, graphical versions of this too, but those are also under copyright because they're new. <laughs> oh, this is actually in 1989. This is still technically. I had to search around to find this, not uh, just in the public. Yeah, well, they disappear by the time we get to chapter 82. So. Yeah, well, that's true. It's illegally speaking of much more practical things. It's illegally downloaded or. Different. Posted on the internet. Well, there's illegal, and then there's stuff that's only illegal 
until you get a cease and desist letter. So this, do you know anything about Henrik's? Oh, I don't. I, I mean, I tried to read about. He's just a like a Berkeley professor, or maybe a big university back east. Probably, probably as I would think, quite an interesting endow. Yeah, you have to know the context and have a pretty deep understanding of it to start translating it. Well, in research, I um, I went to Quora. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Q-U-O-R-A.com. I am now because I saw this translation on Quora. Right. So, so I put in the question, well, what is the best translation? And somebody had asked that a few years ago. And there were these really long involved things, I already had this one, and they referred to it as one that's, well, it's easier for the layman, is how they describe it. So that's perfect. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, well, that's us. Yeah. You know, well, you, you have know. more experience in this field than I do, right, because you studied Buddhism. Uh, a little bit, yeah. I haven't studied any Asian philosophy slash religion slash folk. Yeah. Folk, uh, wisdom type. Yeah. Well, I have a Confucius. Yeah. But Confucius is very different. So yeah. It's a, it's a sets of rules for, and for good living. Right. And some of it is kind of absurd and, you know, so yeah. A lot of it's out there. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was more time sensitive to the times where he he lived in. And I think it's much, much more practical. It's been years since I've read it. I can't remember if there are some what was passages deal? that are more And there was some deal, it was some deal about him. But he, no, but he was, um, he um, didn't mind profiting. You know, he was like a Jerry Falwell of, you know, Asian thought. I think I think that's he's the one I was reading about. You know that's why in the pantheon of those things they kind of discount Confucius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was, you know. Uh, Confucius say, "He who fought in church sit in own pew." Yeah, that's the only one I remember. The, the, uh, so I don't think that's the way. Well, that, and yeah, and I guess maybe some Chinese Defamation League made them stop, but they, that's what they used to put those in in, cook, in fortune cookies. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sayings of Confucian or the you know the made up from the corny ones. That's funny. Yeah. I didn't know that. Did not know that. Yeah. All right. Well, this. Well, we got this one solved. <laughs> I feel like we've exhausted that. Okay.